morning, everybody. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. <laughs> I don't know. That wasn't my wife, so I don't know who that was. You know, actually, I was just thinking earlier. I had a I had a really average night's sleep last night. Is anyone else feeling it this morning? I don't know why. I've got I've got some some house sitters next door and their kids, I think their kids are allergic to sleep. And so I actually thought I'd go to bed early last night because I'm actually, I'm a, I'm a football fan and by football I mean the type you play with your feet, you know, the round ball one. And uh, no booze, that's good. And uh, so Saturday night is, is football night. So, you know, I'm anticipating, you know, subconsciously that at some point between sort of midnight and three I'll probably kind of open an eye and maybe check my phone and and see what the scores were. So last night I went to bed early and I was awake for hours with these kids next door. But so this morning I was just like, oh, but I actually feel, I feel really awake now. Thank God for church. How good is it? Come on. It's good times. We're going we're gonna to pray real quick and then we're just going to jump into it this morning. So <laughs> thank you, Jesus, for, for life. Thank you for church. Thank you for your liberty and your freedom. And this morning, Lord, we, we ask for an encounter. We ask that in this brief time that we spend together that your word would be spoken, not mine but yours. And, Lord, we would experience your love and your kindness and your generosity. And, Lord, give us revelation, give us wisdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, my message is actually a bit, of a, a bit of a preview to Easter, a precursor to the Easter message. And uh, just in case you missed it, obviously, next weekend, we have uh, a short service on, on Good Friday, on Friday morning. Uh, and then, obviously, we have Experience Easter, our production on Sunday morning, normal time. Uh, no PM service next Sunday, is there? So don't come to church. I won't be here. Uh, and also we've got water baptism. So I'd really encourage you once again, if, if you've never been baptised, please consider it. It's actually a really significant moment in terms of your Christian walk, your relationship with Jesus. So if you've never done that before, why don't you just catch up with someone out at the info desk? We'd love you to register uh, so we actually know uh, who we're going to be baptising next week. So it'd be great if you could do that either this morning or tonight. Uh, but I'm actually really looking forward to Easter. You know... The death and the resurrection of Jesus, from a Christian perspective, are the two most significant events in history. You know, even for natural history, you could probably say that it's probably the most significant event ever. You know, they thought it was suitable to change the recording of time to coincide with the death and resurrection of Jesus, BC, AD. So obviously, at some point, people thought it was very significant, a significant event. So this morning, we're going to look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus, just briefly. And the context that I want to look at it this morning in is actually the context of experience. What is reasonable as Christians that we would experience as a result of the death of and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, for me, this kind of this idea of experience is kind of normal. But looking at society, we actually tend to value understanding more than we value experience. Wow. 
you can go to school and become educated, which we have a high value for here. You can go to university and become educated. And then you can go and get a job in a professional career with this much experience. So we tend to have a value for knowledge. You know, you, you find this everywhere. You're not just in education, but you find it in society right through. We tend to have a value for what people know. You know, you can jump on Facebook, you can jump on Instagram or on Twitter or whatever, and people that have zero experience can give you their extended understanding of how they view any topic on life. Have you noticed that? Like a guy that's never, ever had anything to do with television can jump on the internet and write a four-page review of the latest episode of whatever it is that you're into. Because we've become accustomed to people having understanding or knowledge, but no experience. Now, <laughs> I, actually, I actually don't get on social media a lot. I, I try and sort of limit it. I try and put a few photos up every now and then just in case, for some reason, if anyone was interested in knowing what goes on in my life, they would actually be able to see it. Uh, but other than that, I don't really spend a lot of time on social media, but, you know, when it comes to theology, people can reel off, you know, pages and pages with ab absolutely no experience. No, no real actually having to, you know, rub on the road, but everybody can comment. And... I don't have any issues with those kind of forums for people being able to publicly engage or anything like that. But do you guys understand that you can post whatever you like without any qualifications or actual experience with what you're saying? So this morning I want to talk about what is it, what should we really, realistically anticipate to experience, not understand, but experience as a result of the death and the resurrection of Jesus? Now, Scripture, this guy here, Scripture is historical, uh, it's intellectual, it's contextual, contextual, but it's also an invitation to an experience. I don't know if you've realised this before, but a lot of people approach this, and I've done it myself, I actually... About 10 years ago, at some point, I thought, I actually don't really understand much about the history. So I, re I just read the book cover to cover, just as a historical perspective. You know, what did this guy do? What happened after that? Where was that guy in it? So I read the whole thing. I, I skipped a few little bits, uh, you know, Song of Solomon's, I didn't know what that was about, uh, and just <laughs> read through the whole thing, just purely from a historical point of view. But you know, this is actually as much directional as it is historical that the, the idea of Scripture is that in reading it, it would direct us towards an encounter. Right. You know, if you look at the Gospels, and we're going to look at one story really quickly, everything that Jesus did was based around this idea of experience. You know, the, the kingdom that Jesus spoke of, he would often teach... And as he, teach, as he was teaching about it, as he was speaking about it, he would demonstrate it. There's no real getting away from this. You can, you can read whichever version you like. You can go and read different, different books. But at the end of the day, the way that Jesus modelled Christianity was by explaining it and then by demonstrating it. <laughs> That's a quite confronting thought. So we're going to read a story. It's out of Mark chapter 2. 
And, and it, it's an example of this idea of experience that for, some, for a lot of us can actually seem quite foreign. That it's not something we understand, it's actually something we experience. So we're going to pick it up in Mark 2, verse 2. <laughs> we're here. So many people gathered together that there was no longer room for them, not even near the door, and Jesus was discussing with them the word of God. Can you pick that up? There's a whole group of people and Jesus is discussing this, the Word of God. But he's not just discussing the book. It's not just a book review club. He's discussing the Word of God in the book and also the Word of God as it's spoken. And it goes on to say, Then they came, bringing to him a paralyzed man who was being carried by four men. When they were unable to get to him because of the crowd, just an insight into Jesus, there was a lot of people that followed him, they removed the roof above, because that seems like a normal idea. We can't actually get this paralyzed guy to Jesus, so we'll just go and tear the roof off. <laughs> and when they had dug out an opening, they let down the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. When Jesus saw their active faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, just right there, that's a bit of an eye-opener for me. Here's a, guy, here's a guy that's paralyzed on a stretcher. His friends rip the roof over him, lower him down to Jesus so that he can heal him. And the first thing that Jesus said is, son, your sins are forgiven you. Probably wasn't what he was anticipating to hear right at that particular moment. And the next thing's really interesting. The, the Pharisees see this and they go, but some of the scribes were sitting debating in their hearts why does this man talk that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God alone? And immediately, Jesus, being fully aware and knowing in his heart that they were thinking this, said, why are you debating and arguing about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority and power on earth to forgive sins... He said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, get up, pick up your mat and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the mat and went out before them all. How amazing is that? So that all were astonished and they glorified and praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Just think about this for a second. Four mates take their friend take apart a roof to drop a guy into a building where Jesus is. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and a bunch of religious people go, I don't actually think that that's appropriate for you to do that. And Jesus goes, well, what do you think is more accurate? Do you think it's actually harder for me to forgive this guy's sins or to allow him to walk? And they're kind of having a bit of a grumble, and so he tells the guy, get up and walk. And the guy stands up. A paralyzed man stands up out of his wheelchair and walks out, and Jesus said, your, your sins are forgiven you. And, and this is the model right throughout the Gospels. It's about experience. Jesus teaches the Word, but then he demonstrates the Word. And so at any point in our walk as Christians, when we view these major events like the death and the resurrection of Jesus without any expectation that we would actually have some kind of experience, we actually miss the power of the gospel in a situation. So over and over and over, we see, 
we see this right throughout all the books. Responding to scripture. How do you actually respond to this? It's a spiritual revelation, a practical application, and a tangible observation. Through this, through church, we receive spiritual insight, we receive spiritual revelation, understanding, and then there's a point where we need to act on it. There's something that we physically need to do. Four guys here had heard the word, they acted on it, they took a roof off, they got someone to church, they got someone in front of Jesus, and the last point was there was a tangible effect in the situation. That is the power of the gospel. That is the power of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That we wouldn't just understand it, but we would act on it, and that through acting on it, we would experience it. So next week, we celebrate this event. You know, two separate days, we look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus over two separate days. So my question this morning is, What is a realistic expectation that all of us in this building would experience next week? So I'm going to look at these two events separately, starting with the death of Jesus. What's the big deal about death? What is the significance of the death of Jesus? You know, we we tend to sing about it in songs. Sometimes we tend to decide that one side can be more important, like we, the resurrection is more important than the death, and I, theologically that's probably correct, but these events go hand in hand, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So what is the actual significance on Friday, when we get here on Friday morning, what is the significance of this? And so we're going to look really quickly at what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 and really simply just explain it. It said this, We know that our old self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. (laughs) Amen. For the person who has died has been freed from sin. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all and the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so... Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, Jesus died in place of your sins. Now that can tend to become a bit of a throwaway comment. Like Sam said this morning, we tend to have this experience when we come into church for the first time and receive salvation and understand that Jesus died for our sins. We have an experience at that point and then... We tend not to value things that we get for free. So over time, not for everybody, but over time we can actually start to lose sight of this. That for every poor decision that you ever made, every, every, mean, <laughs> every mean thing that you ever did, I'm just, I don't want to think about some of the stuff that I did, uh, any of the bad decisions that you ever made, as a result of whatever situation you were in, Jesus died on the cross to completely, 100%, forgive you, no matter what it was, no matter when it was, 
no matter if it was 50 years ago or if it was last night or this morning, Jesus died on the cross to 100% completely wipe away the sins of your life. Come on. I, I remember the first time I walked into a church and, and it, was like being hit with a, it was like being hit with a velvet sledgehammer, you know? Like, despite everything that you've ever done, a God that created the universe loves you and died on the cross in the place of every poor decision you ever made. So when we think about the death of Jesus on Good Friday, this is actually what we remember. We remember that no matter what happened, Jesus died for our sins. And so what are three, I just wrote down three things. What are three experiences we should expect as a result of Jesus' death? We're talking about tangible experiences, whether it's in church, driving in your car, waking up in the morning. What are three things that you should tangibly experience as a result of the fact that Jesus died 2,000 odd years ago. The first one I think is this, is liberty. Freedom. (laughs) Come on. Anything that you ever did, Jesus forgave. Anything that you're ever going to do, Jesus has already forgiven. It says in the Bible that while you were still sinners, while you were still professional sinners... Christ died for you. So, for everybody here, the only experience that we should tangibly have from that is liberty. You know, guilt and shame and bondage or anxiety about the things that you've done or maybe the things that you're doing, they're actually not from Jesus. It's not an experience that you should have. I hear about people that come into church and they, they come into church and they feel ashamed. And I kind of think, this is the last place that you should ever feel ashamed. The last place that you should ever feel ashamed because this is a place where the death of Jesus should be an experience for all of us of liberty. No matter what you did, no matter what you've done, he forgave you already. It's done. God thought it would be a good idea to sacrifice his perfect son so that you could experience liberty and freedom. And so right now, if there is anybody in this place that feels shame or guilt over any scenario, I just want to declare that is actually not a Jesus. And so right now, we just release liberty and freedom over your life. And that should be a resounding experience that we, that we receive every week walking in the building because of the fact that Jesus died. The second experience I believe we should actually have is the presence of God. You know, I was thinking about this during the week. <laughs> if, you, in the, if you go back to the Old Testament and you actually read what the Israelites had to go through just to walk into the temple, okay? So there's this, there's this tent that the presence of God lives in. And before they could go in, there's this procedure. Like there's, there are pages in the Bible of this of what you had to go through to walk into the presence of God. And here we are on a Sunday and we just walk in. You know, we didn't have to go and, we didn't have to go and grow a cow or a calf and, and four doves and three oxen and have a sacrifice and build a fire. We just walk in the building because Jesus already died for us. There's no more sacrifice. There's no more process. So we just get this for free. And I think maybe that's seen in the, I suppose in the flip side of the coin is, you know, they would, I think this is awesome, 
they would sew bells into the garments that the priests would wear so that while they'd gone through this like three-day or one-week process to be able to enter into the presence of God, if the presence of God was so strong that it killed the priest, they'd, they had a rope around his waist and they could pull him back. So they, they, they're listening and going, he's having a great time. He's so prepared for this. Ooh, got a bit hectic. Uh, the bells aren't ringing anymore. We, we better pull this guy out, right? We've got to bring him out. He's wiped out. But when Jesus died on the cross, he created the ability for us to walk into the presence of God. Not just here, in your car, in your kitchen, when you're putting your kids to bed at night. And we never did anything for it. But the presence of God that we experience is something that shouldn't, it should happen all the time. And it's not a result of anything else. It's just a, simply a result of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Whenever you want it, whenever you need it, you step into the presence. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing. I honor you that you're king in this situation. I ask that your presence would fill the building. How good is that? Jesus, we welcome you here. No matter what the scenario, you walk into work. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> I welcome your presence. The gravity of that is phenomenal. The third thing I believe we should experience as a result of the death of Jesus is value. An understanding of our value. You know, the value for something generally isn't anything to do with particularly what it is, but more about the lengths that we'll go to to protect it or to pay for it. And yet Jesus saw so much value in all of you that he would take his most valued possession and sacrifice him on your behalf. So people that experience, they feel like they're undervalued, they feel like they have no worth, they feel like they're not important. This is not, this is not something from Jesus. Jesus never undervalued you. In fact, the most significant and expensive and valuable thing that he ever had, he gave up in place of you. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed sometimes to, to simply be doing this. Just because I never really had it. When I was young, I never really had a lot. I made some bad decisions. I had some lovely parents, but, you know, I was very much down a path in my life that was going to take me nowhere real quick. And so the opportunity or the, the idea that God placed so much value in me that he would sacrifice his son is overwhelming. Amen. That he would see so much value in every person here yeah. that he would sacrifice his most valued possession. The fact, the thought that God would use you yeah. as a delegate Think about this. God left and said, it's actually better that I go because you're going to do greater things than I will. Jesus saw so much value in you that he had no dramas exiting the scene because I've left, I've left Carl in my place. I've left Ross in my place. How much value can you experience? So I feel like when we come in to this place and in, not just in church, but in the communities that we create in our small groups, we create an environment where people are valued. Because that is the example that Jesus set when he died on the cross.
So my last point is <laughs> raising the bar. What is the significance of the resurrection of Jesus? The most significant event in our history. You know, Paul said it in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if Christ was not raised from the dead, we are the people to be most pitied in all of history. He said, if we, <laughs> we spent all these years waiting for the Messiah who was brutally assassinated, if he didn't raise from the dead, we're the unluckiest crew out there. But he didn't. He didn't stay dead. Three days, he walked back out of a tomb. Come on. How good is that? I read this, this quote this week that said, through... The death of Jesus, we had the authority to go to heaven. And through the resurrection of Jesus, we have authority to bring heaven to earth. And so I just want to read this real quickly before we wrap up. It's one of my favorite verses. It's out of Romans chapter 8. And it says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, your royalty. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we also may be glorified. I feel like every time I speak, I'll always come back to this point. Everything that we receive as Christians comes about through the fact that Jesus was resurrected. Three things really quickly this morning that I believe we should experience as a result of this. The first one is access to resource. You know, Jesus never intended to commission you to make an impact on society and then not back you with resource. Go, go and have a look in the Gospels and look at every scenario where Jesus provided finance, time, ability, over and over. There's always enough. There's always enough. I mean, <laughs> apparently heaven's lined with streets that are made out of gold because he thought that was an appropriate material to go and use for pavement. You have access to resource. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. But you need to take your feelings and go, you're actually not the boss. The Word of God is the boss. And the Word of God says that because he was resurrected, we have access to resource. So this morning I pray that every person no matter what situation you're in, that you would experience the resources of heaven. Maybe you need a job. Maybe you need money. Maybe you need time. No matter what it is, I just pray that resources of heaven would be released this morning. The second thing this morning before we wrap up is insight. You know, 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says that you have received the mind of Christ. As a result of the resurrection of Jesus, you received the mind of Christ. And I feel like, not just in our individual lives, but I feel like the world 
is looking for answers to questions. And we have access to the answers. When Jesus put the Holy Spirit in you, He gave you a connection to receive the wisdom and the insights of heaven. You know that the church, I believe, hold answers to questions that haven't even been asked yet. It's one of the reasons that the Bible says that the world will come running to the church saying, teach us your ways. Because through the resurrection of Jesus, we have the wisdom and the insight and the mind of Christ. So no matter what situation you're in, I think we all have those moments where we think about it and go, I have no idea what to do. (laughs) There is no earthly wisdom that is going to fix this scenario. So God, what what is the mind of Christ? Because he's already paid for it. He's already, he's already given it to you. So it's now up to us to go, God, teach me. Give me wisdom. And actually experience that in the life of our church. And the last thing I want to wrap up on this, that I think we should anticipate to experience is victory. You know, Jesus never prayed for anyone that didn't get healed. He never prayed for any person that was oppressed that didn't receive liberty. Do you know that? He never prayed for resource in any situation that didn't actually come to pass. And we don't get that because we're awesome. We get that because Jesus, who was killed, was raised to life on Easter Sunday. So when we sit here on Sunday morning, next Sunday morning, What we are actually remembering is the fact that the resurrection gave us as the authority in society victory over every situation. Just think about that for a second. Every situation, every scenario. I feel, I say this often, but you know, the best days of the church are ahead of us. And people sometimes ask me why I think that way. That's pretty simple because Jesus said it's finished everything that we're ever going to receive from Jesus has already been done and he said I've given you guys authority over death, over sickness over poverty, over bondage so it's now up to you guys to go and make a move what are you going to do with it so I feel it would be it would be an error for us to preach a gospel that we don't reasonably expect to see a tangible experience for people in church on the street no matter where it is we should experience the victory and the power of God in our lives it's not complicated (laughs) but it's confronting it is confronting it takes, a lot of, it takes a lot of faith to step out on the street and walk up to someone and say, can I pray for you? But if we're actually going to make a mark on the individual lives of people in our society, it's a level of faith that Jesus has called us to. So why don't we stand real quick? I want to pray before we leave.
I need this as much as you guys. <laughs> Why don't you just take a moment just to reflect on everything that Jesus has done for you. And while you're doing that, just be encouraged that God wants you to experience His presence. He doesn't want it to be something that you understand. He wants it to be something that you experience. Just picture it in your head. What is that one thing that God wants you to experience this morning? And while you hold that this morning, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your presence here this morning. I thank you for the elaborate sacrifice that you made so that we can stand here in your presence this morning. Holy Spirit, right now we welcome you to this place. And we pray across the building for every person that's here that you would pour out, encounter and experience, Lord God. For whatever situation it is, for whatever specific experience you have in their mind right now, we just release the power of Jesus Christ into this situation. We pray for breakthrough this morning in the name of Jesus. We pray that your kingdom would come. Lord, that your will would be done in this place this morning, just as it is in heaven. Father, I ask this week that you would release experience for every person here, that you would release encounter. And you know, right, right now, I just feel that there are people that Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you've been here for a long time and you feel like a skeptic. You feel like maybe you turn up, but you don't quite engage. And this morning I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to encounter you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to walk out the doors this morning knowing and understanding that He's real. And that what we celebrate next weekend isn't just a religious event, but it's an experience. And so right now, just while the heads are bowed, if you've never made that decision to go, Jesus, I believe in you, forgive me for my sins I just want you to raise your hand really quick just to say I agree with you Jesus I receive you this morning I receive this invitation to encounter
just in this moment, just quickly raise your hand up so I can pray for you this morning. Awesome. Awesome. Jesus, I just thank you for every person in this building. I pray this week that you would release encounters. I pray for blessing. I pray for favour. Lord, I pray that as we come together next weekend to celebrate Easter, that you would release an expectation to us all, Lord God, that as people walk through the doors, that they would encounter, that they would encounter you. This wouldn't be a, a room full of dead religion, but a room full of powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit, because you're not dead, you're alive. Lord, we prophesy breakthrough. We prophesy encounters, Lord. Revelation. Lord, you turn skeptics into believers. Not by us, but by your power. In Jesus' name. <laughs> so, guys, I just encourage you this week just bring someone along. If you've got someone in mind, maybe the Holy Spirit will give you someone in mind this week, just invite them along. I believe that people are going to have encounters next week at Easter. Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is alive. <laughs> it's going to be exciting. Amen, amen. Let's, let's go on a song. Yeah, let's give Jesus a round of applause, yeah? Thank you, God.